for our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Curtis Whiteley entitled, The Unforgiving Servant. Mr. Whiteley. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here, as it always is. As you see, the title of my message today is The Unforgiving Servant, as Reggie just pointed out. And uh, let's go ahead and just turn to Matthew, the 18th chapter, and kind of, we're going to go through a parable today. And last, well, I don't think it was the last time that I spoke, but I think it was maybe the time before I spoke before the feast. Uh, I went over another parable during that time, the parable of the talents. And uh, while I was given that message, there was this parable that also stuck out to me, and I was interested in it because I was thinking about some things in our common culture today, and that was the issue of forgiveness. I mean, it's the hallmark of Christianity, right? It's the core of Christianity. We know that forgiveness is what being a Christian is all about, what has made us a Christian, what has made us a follower of Christ, what God has done for us. And I was thinking about the world today. You know, there's a common thing that we say in our culture. I heard it whenever I was a kid. The kids today hear it. And that phrase is, back in my day. We've all heard that, right? Well, back in my day, I had to walk three miles. I had to walk ten miles to school in the snow up a hill and, you know, things like that, right? You know, both ways, that's right. <laughs> so, I was thinking about how, like, we, we often do that to our youth. It was done to me. We do it to our youth now. And we look at them and we say, man, you have it so much easier. I mean, look at all the technology that we have. I mean, it, I, I remember being in school and we were doing, like, a research project. And we had computers when I was in high school. So, you could just go online and you're looking for a topic and you could just... Google was still kind of new. A lot of people used Yahoo back then still for like searches for information. And I remember the teachers that were in my school talking about how like, well, we, back in our day, we had to go find a topic in this drawer among a bunch of different cards and find different books and go and physically find the book. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with that. And that's how they had to do it. And so... Now we have access to just type out some topic real quick and hit enter, and you have all of this information. And so in a lot of ways, it is kind of true on some things that, man, today, things are easier because of technology, because of innovation and things like that. But I was thinking about one aspect, and not everyone agrees with me on this, and I'm, I'm sure some might not see it the way I do. There's one aspect today that I feel like our youth or people living in the 21st century in 2019 have a little bit harder. And that is in the area of grace. Follow, follow along with me as I try to explain what I mean by this. It seems that we live in an age where someone does something, it's blasted out there for the universe to see, and that person is basically forever known by that particular thing that they did. There's no forgiveness. There's nothing that that person can do to ever make right what they have done. Now, obviously, I don't have anything specific as an example, but I can just think of and try to get things, you know, to, to, 
allude to, you know, whether it be someone posting something on social media. You know, all of, a, all of a sudden someone says something on social media or they said something 20 years ago and they're a famous person or they're working in this job and that's uncovered and boom, bam, that person's no longer working in that job. That person's removed. And of course, I'm not saying that people should not have to take responsibility for the things that they do, for the things that they say. But it snowballs. The culture that we live in with social media, it snowballs, where all of a sudden, this thing that has happened or that they have done, it's blasted out there for everyone to see. And the person who's done it, although they, take, they have a lot of responsibility in it, they've basically tarnished themselves forever. There's people out there who will never forgive them, that will never look at them the same way. And I was thinking about of all the things that we talk about how like, you know, kids today have it easy, kids today have it easy in this way, whether it be in school, whether it be in work or whatever. I'm not so sure that they have it as easy with the whole grace thing, with, with, with the way our culture likes to label and exile people because of something they do. And again, the Bible talks about responsibility. And I believe, and I think most of us in here would believe that we have a responsibility for our actions, for our words, the way we go about living our lives. But it's so easy, even as Christians, I think, to fall into that trap of someone doing something and just always thinking that that person's done, that they should just be exiled, that they should just be removed, that they're a terrible person. Of course, what they have done might be a terrible thing, but there's no focus at all on the key thing that the scriptures are focused on, and that is reconciliation. Reconciliation, which involves forgiveness. And so Jesus, in the 18th chapter, he starts talking about forgiveness. He's going to speak in a parable. And I just want to read through this, but first I want to kind of just read verse 21, where Peter asks this question. We got to kind of go into some historical background here. Peter poses this question in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Is this question mark, up to seven times? Now, we've probably read this before, but there might be some historical things that have prompted Peter to ask this question and give this specific number. First off, in this period, the Pharisaic tradition or teaching was is that in order to be righteous, understanding that God is a God of forgiveness, that a person needs to forgive someone for the same offense up to two times. He might even be thinking in his head that this kind of co or this kind of aligns, that Pharisaic teaching kind of aligns with what Jesus says that if someone strikes you on the cheek, Matthew 5, verse 39, whoever slaps you on the cheek, turn the other to him also. So if someone hits you, then let him do it for the second time. And going even further, Peter might have also remembered Jesus' words earlier on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Peter knows about the Pharisaic teaching, probably, of forgiving someone up to two times, and if you want to go beyond what's required, do it three times. He knows that Jesus expects them 
to have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So he's thinking, well, maybe seven. That's more than two, more than three. So maybe that will exceed that righteousness. Maybe that will be something required, uh, a requirements beyond enough to exceed what Jesus expects. But Jesus answers him in verse 22 by saying this. Then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. And he goes into this parable. I'm going to read this parable. I'm just going to go ahead and read it completely. And we might come back to it. Jesus says, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was, excuse me, but as he was uh, not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, I have patience, or Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master that the servant, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So we have a couple things going on here. First, we have this analogy of a king who has servants, and he's come to settle accounts with his servants. And so if we look at this and we understand that the analogy is God is the king and we are the servants. And this servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Now just to kind of give you an idea of how much that is in this day, 10,000 talents were equal to about 60,000 denarii. One denarii was equal to an average day's wage. That's a lot of money. To quote R.T. France, who wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, on page 706 he says, 10,000 is the largest numerical value for which a Greek term exists, and the talent is the largest known amount of money. When the two are combined, the effect is like our zillions. And I'm kind of paraphrasing that. So Jesus is getting in this story this individual that owes a huge amount of money. And in our day, if we were to actually look at it, and we have had scholars try to find out what a, uh, what a modern uh, amount would be for our day and age, it would be somewhere around maybe $12 million, but if they factored in inflation appropriately, which we might not know completely how to do that, it could be all the way up into the billions. Just to give you another example of how much money this is, David donated 3,000 talents of gold and 7 talents of silver for the construction of the temple whenever he was forecasting or he was planning the temple, how much it would cost him to buy the materials in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter. Now that was not, that didn't even cover all of the temple. But it just kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. So the king's initial response is he's coming, he's wanting to settle a, 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 his, the debts that the servants have accumulated against the king. The king has obviously probably loaned out money to these servants. These servants were supposed to use this money, maybe make a profit for themselves, and then pay back what the king had given them. And the king's initial demand, when the servant was not able to pay what the servant owed the king, was to require him and his family to be sold into slavery, which was a common thing. But the typical price of a slave was only 30 pieces of silver. 
nothing near the amount that this servant owed the king. The obvious point is that the debt the servant owed was unpayable. There was nothing that he could do to truly settle this debt and pay back his master the money that he owed him. Nothing. I mean, it was an impossible situation for the servant. But even though it was impossible, here's the servant's response. The servant's response was that he pleads. He falls down on his knees and he asks for patience from the king. He asks him for more time and tells him, I will do what I can to pay you back, essentially. The king, as we just read, in response to this, what seems to be sincerity, in verse 27 says, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, there's a couple things that need to be remembered here. Number one, the king was under no obligation to do this. He had no obligation to forgive the debts of this individual. He had no obligation to allow this individual more time to try to find out what he can do to pay back his master. In fact, we even know in the Old Testament that this was a practice when a person could not pay back their debts, they would sell themselves into servitude towards that person that they, they, they owed a debt to. And of course then, they would have to be released on the year of Jubilee. So there was grace, there was compassion. There was freedom even in that. And it was done in a very tight, ethical, standard way because God had presented them with the appropriate ways to do this. And that is in Leviticus, the 25th chapter, Somewhere around verse 39 if you guys want to read that on your own. But something else that we have to look at is that not only does the master not have to do this, he even goes beyond what was requested by the servant. The servant asked just for more time. He never asked him to forgive him the debts. He just wanted more time. And the, the, the king went even beyond just mere mercy he actually forgave the entire debt beyond what the servant had initially asked. That's a wonderful thing that we're looking at here because Jesus is giving an analogy of God our Father and what He's done for us. And we understand that it's so easy to fall into that trap of this cliche, well, God's forgiven us, the blood of Christ. And it's easy to forget the seriousness of our debts towards God. And the compassion that he gave and demonstrated to me and you and to all those who call upon the name of Christ. So let's look at the servant's response. Picking up in verse 28. The servant now is forgiven of these debts. He's been shown compassion, mercy, grace. And he goes out and he gets into a similar situation, but he's now in the opposite role. Verse 28, but the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So now he has someone that's indebted to him, and he wants to settle accounts like the king wanted to settle accounts. Verse 29, So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and drew, or threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt 
And so when his fellow servants saw what they had been done, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, or then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And notice what it says at the very last. From his heart. Forgive from his heart. From the person's heart. We understand that this is a part of that Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who commit. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. And so what we see here is interesting because now we're in the exact same position. It's just flip-flopped with someone else. The servant now, he's acting somewhat like the master, like the king. And he asks someone that's in debt to him for 200 denarii. That's equal to about 100 days labor of any common foot soldier or common labor during this period of time. But even though we might think, well, 100 days labor, that's, that's, that's a chunk of change. It's nothing. It's trivial in comparison to what he himself was given, for, forgiven for from his king, who he owed money to. In this, what we see is the servant's inability to see himself and his fellow servant. As this fellow servant's plea is almost verbatim in what he plead to the king. In verse 29, he says, So his fellow servant fell down, at his feet and begged him saying have patience with me and I will pay you all but instead of showing mercy like he received from the king the servant threw his fellow servant into a debtor's prison now a little historical note here not only was he refusing and failing to show the compassion that was shown to himself he was actually committing something that was illegal you see, he owed this huge debt. And what the king was going to do with him and his family was throw him into prison. Into, or not prison, but servitude. Which was lawful and which was something that you could do. And it wouldn't, even if he did that, he wouldn't be able to pay back the king. But even the most inexperienced slave was worth only around 500 denarii. And it was illegal to sell a man for a sum, of, a sum greater than his debt. So he was going to try to sell this person into slavery. And the person was worth more than the debt that he actually owed to this servant, which was something that was illegal. So it just demonstrates the trivialness that this, you know, few dollars, essentially. It, obviously, we don't want to get too hung up on the amount of money because what it's trying to do is show this huge comparison, this difference, this huge amount of amount that someone was forgiven for and this little trivial amount that you refused or that this servant refused to forgive his fellow servant for. In this story, we see the, the failure of the servant to have the compassion and mercy of the king. Now, obviously, as we know, this is an analogy of God being the king and us as the servants. The compassion, grace, and mercy that God has shown or given us should be a pay-it-forward lifestyle. 
Now, this doesn't mean that you just go around forgiving people, people offend you, people do wrong to you, and you say, well, that's okay, I'm never going to hold anything against anybody. The scriptures, even right before this, talk about confronting people that have committed an offense. And there's a proper way to do that. But it's so easy in our day and age, and as humans, just the carnal nature, when someone wrongs us, to forgive them. But it's at the core of what Christianity is all about. Someone who forgives in light of what we have been shown by God our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that the king hears about this. The servants, the fellow servants, not the one that owed the the servant money, but other servants heard about this and saw this and they went directly to the king and in detail explained to him exactly what this servant that the king had had previously forgave him debts for what he had done. In verse 31 through 34, let's just read that again. So when his fellow servant saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged. He was called a wicked servant now. An unforgiving servant is called a wicked servant in this parable. Likened to someone who's wicked. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as, as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so we see this analogy that Jesus gives to Peter and also the other fellow disciples that were around him listening to this about forgiveness. You know, in a day and an age where forgiveness is something and compassion and reconciliation isn't something that's really talked about very much. You know, it's all about pointing fingers. It's all about what does a person do on social media? Well, that's what they did. We should exile them, never have anything to do with them, no matter what they do. They can never account for the grievance, for the offense they have trans, uh, that, that they, they have committed. And this does not release people from physical and earthly responsibilities and accounts that they have to give to our local governments, our state governments, our federal governments, those things are still in place. Those things, you know, obviously God allows and people have to pay for the offenses that they commit in this world. And people have to suffer the consequences of silly things that they say and silly things that they do. But it's also easy for us to see people doing things and point the finger and be unforgiving. I'm speaking from a personal perspective, obviously. I'm not wanting to apply that to anyone in here, but I just want us to think about maybe things that people have done and we've maybe held a grudge against them about it. Even if they come to us and ask for forgiveness. I'm not saying don't be smart, don't be you know, wise, and someone's done something to you and maybe you can't trust them quite like you should. But let's just think about in our personal lives, whether it be someone even closer than just maybe someone, a fellow neighbor or a fellow believer. Let's think about in marriage. How easy it is. I know, you know, you, know, you talk about well, when do I really do things against people? When do I really you know, offend people? And I don't mean offend like I say something that makes them offensive, but maybe don't treat them very well where I need to ask for forgiveness. Well, I think we can think of that. I mean, even as parents, 
even as parents, it's easy to have a moment where we're not being a very good parent. We maybe discipline our child or uh, we're, we're not doing something that's really, uh, maybe we go to discipline our child or maybe we go to say something to him and out of anger, out of frustration, out of impatience, we say something that we shouldn't. I mean, we're parents, right? Those who are parents, I mean, we're not above that. You know, our kids might think that we can't, you know, well, when they're young, they think that we can't really do any wrong. Then they get a little older, they think everything we do is wrong. But nevertheless, it's easy to really, if we really analyze it, to think about things in our life where, you know what, we've wronged. We, we've, we've made some incorrect choices. We've done some things that really we probably need to have some forgiveness towards. Same thing with marriage, but towards our spouses. There's all different examples, I think, that we could think about where we have probably, you know, basically done something where we need to, we, we have a debt. We have a, a, a debt in, 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 to that person in forgiveness. And it all goes back to Jesus' answer to Peter's question. How many times do we forgive a brother, a believer, a fellow neighbor? You can even put it in there. An unpayable debt. <clears throat> or uh, by, He answers this question by showing us the unpayable debt as sinners that we have accumulated against a righteous God. And the mercy that God has demonstrated to all of us through this Son. We have a responsibility to forgive our debtors in the same manner that God has forgiven us. No matter the offenses against us, it's all trivial compared to our own debt toward God that he, was, that he has wiped away. Verse 35, just to kind of remember. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, one of the things, as we are Christians, we're not only to live a life based upon principles, Christian principles. Yes, we are. But we're to live that life from the heart, from the transformation that was supposed to have taken place in our conversion. And so when we think about why we've been forgiven by God, it's more than just mere compassion and grace. It's driven by one of the most powerful forces there is, and that is love. Love is what prompted, love of us prompted God to send his son to this world to die for us, for our forgiveness of sins. And in the same way, as we are supposed to be growing in the stature and nature of Jesus Christ, that's what should prompt us to also have a forgiving spirit ourselves. The love of God in us. One of the characteristics that people would see. Jesus right before he's arrested and crucified. He says that they will know you by your love. By the love that you show for each other. So as people are pointing the finger in this world. And being unforgiving. And not focused whatsoever on reconciliation. Let us demonstrate to the world the love of God. As a witness to them as we live out our lives in forgiveness and having a forgiving heart and compassion for people and also in the other areas of life that demonstrates the forgiving, compassionate, gracious nature of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ.